tonight, Justin Trudeau proposes a new national holiday based around shaming Canadians as racist. It's August 15th and you're watching The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon Why? consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here and you won't give them an answer. You come here once a year with a sign and you feel morally superior. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. This is the official federal government website listing statutory holidays. The feds get those days off. Not all of them are holidays for the rest of us. For most people, for example, Remembrance Day is not a day off work. In fact, the Legion says they don't want it to be a day off work. They don't want it to turn into just another fun day, a party day, a day the like. They want two minutes of silent reflection and memorial wreaths laid, not a fun day. But, but the rest of those days, look at the nature of them. There's something large and positive and reinforcing about them. Victoria Day, that's named after the great queen of the British Empire, the Empress, who was the queen when Canada was born. Most of the rest of the holidays go to our Western Christian traditions, Christmas, Easter, Thanksgiving. Boxing Day is a British tradition we inherited from them. Labor Day, that's a left-wing political holiday, but that's fine. Civic holiday couldn't be more generic, could it? Uh, the government loves statutory holidays, of course. Businesses don't love them. They have to shut down or pay overtime, but that's 11 days right there. There's only about 200 working days in the whole year to begin with, so 11 days off is a lot. But now we're going to get another, but it's not rooted in our great past. It's not commemorating the founder of Christianity, like Christmas. It's not commemorating the Empress when Canada was born, Queen Victoria, or the soldiers who died for all of us, Remembrance Day. Here, here is the new holiday that will unite and uplift our country, inspire our people, rejuvenate them, be something we can all look forward to. Look at this from the Globe and Mail. Federal government to declare a new statutory holiday to mark painful residential school legacy. What? We're, we're, we're going to have a holiday that's a, that's a national shame on us day, really? A national day of pain, a day to condemn ourselves and hate ourselves? Here, let me read some more from the story. The federal government is consulting with indigenous groups before declaring a national statutory holiday to mark the painful legacy of Canada's Indian residential schools. The main sticking point has been choosing a date for the annual event. Oh, really? That's, that's the biggest quibble or qualm they have. What, what day we're going to have this shame fest on? Nobody thinks it's maybe not a great idea to obsess on the negative, to emphasize it, to enshrine it, to define ourselves by it. This is about social engineering, political engineering. This is about race, blame, and racial division. And it's about negativity. Here, listen for yourself. Let me quote some more. The overall picture is that it is important to have that day set aside so Canadians continually get it and will never, ever forget the impact of genocide in the residential schools on Indigenous peoples. Perry Bellegarde, the National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations, said in a recent telephone interview, <laughs> wow, wow, lay off the caffeinated, okay? You will never stop being shamed and blamed if this becomes law, never. You have to submit as an explicitly political holiday, explicitly designed to attack you, to force you to get it. 
And the get it that you have to get is, we're evil. Let me read some more from the story. TRC, by the way, stands for Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Contrary to its name, it was a blame-storming, scapegoating lobby group that accused Canada of genocide. And that's what this holiday is about. Here, let 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 me quote. The TRC, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, found that the schools, which operated for more than 100 years, were a system of cultural genocide. Canada's first Prime Minister, Sir John A. Macdonald, said it was important to withdraw children from the influence of their parents and, quote, put them in central training industrial schools where they will acquire the habits and modes of thought of white men, unquote. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Canada committed, their words, a genocide against Aboriginal people? Genocide, that, that's a word we use in relation to Adolf Hitler, maybe for Stalin's Holodomor in the in in Ukraine and and the Turks murdering more than a million Armenians. Genocide means murdering an entire race. That's the side, like homicide or pesticide. Genocide means murdering a whole genetic group. Did did we do that? Did Sir John A. Macdonald do that? Our democratically elected first prime minister, our founding father of confederation, did did he do that? No, of course he did not do that. You'd have to be insane or illiterate to think that. He, he had flaws, as do all men, but to call him a genocider and to say that we are all complicit in it and we have to be told that till we get it. But of course, this is where the official people are. They, they just took down the statue of Sir John A. Macdonald from in front of the City Hall of Victoria, B.C. They, they took the statue down. Hey, have you looked at your $10 bill lately, the new ones? Trudeau took Sir John A. Macdonald right off it. He's not on the $10 bill anymore. He, he put on a community activist from Halifax. Uh, seriously, I'm sure she's a nice lady, but she's not our founding prime minister. By the way, I am sympathetic to an Aboriginal day of some sort because it would be as Canadian as it gets. It's culturally appropriate to Canada. It's historically appropriate to Canada, geographically, legally. I'm not thrilled with the billions of dollars that a new stat holiday will cost. Perhaps we can simply rename civic holiday as Aboriginal Day or something. I'm okay with that actually, because it is inherently and originally Canadian, but what fool, what knave, what malicious activist, what spiteful negative schemer would structure Such a day built around failure and pain and suffering and shame and scolding and antipathy and animosity and accusations and hate. Who on earth would do that? Do that to Aboriginal people. Do that to non-Aboriginal people. Do that to this country's cohesion. Why would you emphasize a negative chapter in a history? And, And by the way, it must be said, but so few do say it, so I will say it. It is not universally accepted that residential schools were evil. And I say that because I know a great man who went to a residential school. And I remember once when he told me unequivocally that going to that residential school was the best thing that ever happened to him that it put him on a great path, and indeed it did. I'm not going to name him, because I don't think he needs to be mobbed by angry white liberals, but he is a very successful professional, and so is his son following in his footsteps. I know of other people who feel this way, Indians, I mean, Aboriginal people. I have no doubt that there were some atrocities committed in these residential schools, and I accept that it is morally ambiguous at best to take children away from their own parents. I accept that. I accept that it is difficult, but I cannot unremember what I heard from that man who said it surely saved his life and made his life and that of his whole future family to come. But put that aside. 
For the purpose of this debate, let us accept that residential schools were on the whole wrong. Many aboriginals would dispute that, but let's accept it for the purpose of this discussion. Why would you then build an entire state holiday around obsessing over that? Is that the central characteristic about being aboriginal in Canada? Is that the central feature, the essential salient part? Is that the aboriginal story? Is that central to aboriginal identity? Really, in 2018, and for the foreseeable future, really? Well, for the Indian industry it is, and by that I mean the grievance industry, the hucksters, the politicians, the lawyers, the bureaucrats, both white and Indian, who want to perpetuate failure. It's like the Black Lives Matter extremists in the US, funded by George Soros, of course. Black Lives Matter wants to make victimhood the central identity of black people, not opportunity and hope. Why wouldn't you make Aboriginal culture, history, languages, traditions, and, and opportunities? Why wouldn't you make that the focus of your Aboriginal day? Well, because that doesn't feed anger, and that doesn't demand more cash, and that doesn't pit us against each other, does it? By the way, there is goodwill in Canada towards Aboriginal people. But if someone is a new Canadian from China, from the Philippines, from wherever, who immigrated here in the past 20 years, why, why do they need to be blamed and shamed for something that happened a century ago? What, what, what about Canadians whose families have been here for decades, but who were born recently and had nothing to do with a policy of decades past? And, and by the way, why, if an Aboriginal person was born after residential schools were abolished, or was born before then, but never attended them, why does he need to pretend to be a victim? Why should we cast any Aboriginal as a victim? Why should we cast any non-Aboriginal as an offender? This is Trudeau at his worst. This is Trudeau hating Canada, undermining Canada, apologizing for Canada in perpetuity, but oh, he loves anything other than us. Tear down John A. Macdonald, revise our history to lie, to pretend that we were genociders like Hitler was. But look at this. This is a tweet from Ikra Khalid. Excited to join the local community. My colleague, Terry Duguid, the High Commissioner Janice Lukes and more, in inaugurating a local park in Winnipeg and naming it after the founder of Pakistan, Kade Iazam Muhammad Ali Jinnah. Unity, faith, discipline, diversity, strength. What the hell? Muhammad Jinnah? He's the brutal founder of Pakistan. He's obviously Muslim, but he's not just Muslim. He's a Muslim supremacist. He founded Pakistan on racist foundations. He, he fomented riots and murders at least a million kids killed, according to some reports. Pakistan today bears his imprint. It's intolerant. It's racist. It's Islamic, of course. It's terroristic. It's at war with its democratic neighbor called India. But that Canadian liberal MP born in Pakistan, Ikra Khalid, that, that's Trudeau's Muslim MP who brought forward the M103 anti-Islamophobia censorship motion, and she's erecting a statue to the mass murderer and Islamic supremacist Mohammed Jinnah, a foreigner who never came to Canada? So John A. Macdonald, our national founder, is out, tear down a statue. Mohammed Jinnah, 
a murderous founder of Pakistan. That goes up with our MPs' praise, but of course, you don't understand. In their worldview, Canadian culture is evil. And now we will have a permanent holiday where self-loathing is taught and enforced. What did that liberal Perry Bellegarde say? Oh, so Canadians continually get it. Yeah, I don't think that serves Canadians, Aboriginal or not. Do you? Stay with us for more. Hey, welcome back. On Monday, we told you about a series of violent attacks over the weekend committed against journalists. Now, if you believe the CNN or CBC, they'll tell you that Donald Trump has whipped up people against the liberal press and it's a disgrace what Trump has done. No, no, no. I have not yet heard of a conservative ever attacking a journalist, but I see every week leftists attacking conservative journalists. Our own company has been victimized that way, including our own Sheila Gunn-Reed, who was punched in the face at a women's march. Well, on uh, this weekend in Toronto, it was the Toronto Sun that was targeted, and not even a, a writer or an opinion columnist, but rather a long-serving photographer for the Toronto Sun named Stan Behal. Here, take a look at when he was just doing his job, photographing some alt-left Antifa types in Toronto, flanked by seven police, and he just got punched, grabbed twice. There he is, that's Stan in the blue. And look at all those policemen just standing there idly. Joining us now in studio is a woman who you may have seen in the bottom right of the screen there, who was standing there feet away, my friend Sue Ann Levy. Sue Ann, Hi. great to see you again. Hi. There were so many police there. Yes. Stan dozens was- Dozens and dozens. Yeah, and, and just feet away there were seven, I counted them. Yeah. What was, it like? what, what, what was it like? What happened there? Actually, the first time in my 30-year career, Ezra, that I actually felt intimidated. I felt scared. And you know I've been through a lot, yeah. and I am not afraid to throw myself into things. But not only did they attack Stan, but this group that whipped themselves into a frenzy screamed all kinds of stuff about the sun, that I was racist. They had recognized me about a half an hour into my arrival racist? there. Racist? What are they talking about? Yeah. So they got themselves all whipped up. So this was yeah. ideological. This wasn't just some opportunistic stupidity. This was no, targeted no, because of no, politics. No, 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 no. About a half an hour in, and Stan and I are going around together. We'd lose each other at some points. Yeah. We were together. And they recognize, one guy recognized me and he started screaming. And what they do is when they recognize right. you, they shout out. They yeah. do a shout out to all their other... And the rest of the wolf pack comes. Yes. And then I was stalked. I was followed by three uh, lefty lesbians um, who started screaming that I was disgraced to the LGBT community. And I was intimidated and stalked by a cameraman who was filming for them. Huh. Now, now Stan, I, I don't know Stan well. I, I, I know his name. Mm -hmm. um, He's just a photographer. I'm not saying just a photographer, but he's not. He's, he's, he's not, not writing. He, yeah, he's, he's just, apolitical. He shoots, he shoots uh, interesting things, and this was yeah. an interesting thing. Why did they? Why did they target him? Uh, you know, I don't know. There was somebody else at the rally 
who was uh, shooting for uh, freelance yeah. for the wires, and she also was surrounded and intimidated. Really? And I, I wrote about it in my piece on Sunday. Now, did the police intervene in any way? Did they no. even say simmer down? No, not what, at all. Why? Do you, can you explain that? Well, I was told that they had been asked from higher ups, we don't know who, to stand down, not to uh, intervene because it might escalate the violence. Escalate but the frankly, yeah. standing there and feeling totally unprotected, totally unprotected, I would say that all they did was enable and embolden well, and they, these people. They, and they proved it. Let's watch it in slow motion here because, it, you know, Stan, I mean, he's, he looks like he's in his 50s. And they, they grab his arm, grab his arm twice. He's holding his expensive camera gear. He's obviously not going to. So they grab his arm. So look at that. He's a young guy, probably in his 20, grabs Stan's arm, grabs Stan's arm, wrestles him around, wrangles him, and then just grabs his hat. Looks like he's pulling his hair also. Like that's a real yeah, grab. Did. And runs away. And that's not just like a goofy little snatch a hat and run no. juvenile stunt. That's a double grab, immobilize the arm. Show it one more time. I think that's. So reach for the hat, he blocks it, so the youngster grabs the arm, grabs the arm, immobilizes the arm, reaches over the other hand, grabs the head so much, look at Stan's face, look at his face there, it's yeah. obviously grimacing. Is he grabbing the hair? Is he grabbing the skin? He grabbed the hair. The other arm is immobilized and he grabs it and look at all the cops, just delighted with a I you see it. the guy yeah, there? Smiling. He was smiling. Yeah, just smiling. smiling. Oh, that's, that's a little bit of fun. Oh. Not doing a thing. Now, we have a still image of the hat grabber, arm grabber, assaulter. Let's put that up here for a second. That's him smiling. Now, why wouldn't he smile? And to the right of him is a longtime Marxist, Barry Wiseletter, who shows up at all these rallies and, and provokes the people, whips up these young people. Mm -hmm. So he also was there. And he, of course, we've heard nothing from him. He should turn this guy in, but yeah. of course he won't. Yeah, well, and we would encourage any of our viewers, if they recognize this fella or recognize him from social media, to, uh, to bring the information to the police would be the right people. What's interesting is this was right there at Nathan Phillips Square. This is right in the heart of the democratic process in Toronto. Supposedly. Um, and uh, obviously, uh, if you are on, as you well know, if you are on the right mm -hmm. and conservative and don't actually echo their view of the world, then, I mean, I would be concerned that people are starting to be targeted in the media. Well, I mean, on our side of the media, I mean, sure. I've never heard in history a CBC reporter being attacked in any way. No. Because they're allies with no. the alt-left. No. And, you know, uh, the media, most of the media, all but a few media were silent, have been silent. Well, worse than silent. I want to show you. Now, there's an obscure blog called Canada Land. Mm -hmm. And and the, its leaders, Jesse Brownie, styles himself a media critic. I want to show you what he wrote about this. So, so we've shown about four times now. Uh, Stan raised his arm. The, the alt-left guy grabbed it, pushed it down, mm -hmm. held it with one arm, mm -hmm. and, and then grabbed... Stan grimaced it. So that, it was an assault. I mean, just speaking as and a... Stan, by the way, is 63. 63, he's, yeah. He's not in his 50s. Yeah. We've been doing it a long time. It, and he was slight. He's slight. He's yeah, much smaller yeah, he's, than this guy. So let's, let me show you what Jesse Brown, quote, media critic of Canada Land said. The appetite for crazy, violent lefty stories is indeed huge. It was the hat snatch heard across the nation. Well, 
that was a crazy violent lefty. We've seen crazy violent lefties everywhere. And you can see Jesse Brown, who if this was, it, I mean, he goes nuts when there's a mean word on Twitter, Jesse Brown. Mm -hmm. But an actual violent assault that ended with a hat snatch, but that started with a, several uh, grabs and, and I don't know if he'd call it a punch. He just d diminishes it to call it a hat snatch. One more uh, tweet from Jesse Brown. What about Stan's hat? No, we, we don't care about Stan's hat, although that is theft. We care about the fact that Stan, a 63-year-old photographer in a public space surrounded by police, was grabbed and held at bay, and his hair was then grabbed. That was an assault, and the police did nothing, and the so-called media critic cheered it. Yes, and I dare say uh, that many members of the media party, as you call them, we're probably secretly giving it, it their tacit approval. There go the right, yeah. you know, the right, the conservative people who aren't part of the pack. Yeah, absolutely. And I see this sort of the harmonization on the hard left. Mm -hmm. Jesse Brown and his ex obscure left-wing show called Canada Land. There's a NDP-backed website called Press Progress. Mm -hmm. They're really trying to whip up violence against the Toronto Sun. They are. They are. And we see that, that there's a concerted campaign. Like they're really gonna, naming names and yeah. trying to whip up hate against you, Joe Warmington. Who else? Anthony Fury, um, up to a certain degree, Lori Goldstein, but mostly Anthony Fury, Joe, uh, Joe Warmington, and myself. And they also mentioned Candace Malcolm. I know they hate Candace her. Malcolm, they yes. hate conservative yeah. women. The fact that you're also Jewish and lesbian, they think, well, in three ways you're supposed to be liberal, because you're Jewish, because you're a woman, because you're liberal. I'm a betrayal. I, I'm a betrayal That's to why the they cause. hate you. They hate you more than yeah. they hate a conservative oh, man, yes. because yeah. they regard you as a, as, a, as a betrayer. And they even said that. They even said that well, on Well, that's what you said. These two other left-wing lesbians said, yeah. You're a betrayer of the, of the sexuality or something. Yes. Well, I, I have to say, um, I'm disappointed in the Toronto police, but I'm sure the order came from higher up. Mm -hmm. I can't believe that any young man or woman joins a police academy to be a partisan, mm -hmm. you know, approver of violence like that. I can't believe that a real cop would feel good about that. I can't either. Um, I think that they're they have been rendered in many ways impotent, yeah. the police force. I've written about this before. Uh, we are huge champions of the police. We always More than anyone them. else. You're the only newspaper and, in and Toronto that is. we certainly did not deserve what happened yeah. on you, Saturday. You know what? The Toronto Star hates the police. The yeah. CBC hates the yeah. police. If they could get a Black Lives Matter anti-cop thing going in Toronto, and they sort of yeah. do. You want to would... talk about betrayal? Yeah. That's a betrayal because yeah. we certainly didn't deserve it, Ezra. Yeah. Well, I think, of course, the real blame lies with the perpetrator, that young man mm -hmm. who was violent against a 63-year-old photographer. Let me ask you this, and I'm not asking you to give away any confidences or to put yourself in a difficult position, but I remember when our own Sheila Gunn-Reed was punched in the face, mm -hmm. and we can show some imagery of this right now. Sheila went to the Women's March last year in mm -hmm. Edmonton at a women's march was punched in the face mm -hmm. by a new Democrat activist. And we sued. We took him to criminal court. We took him to civil court. Mm -hmm. It was a statement mm -hmm. that you can't do that to mm -hmm. someone at the rebel with impunity. Mm -hmm. Has it, and if I'm asking, if I'm asking a question that's too tough, let me know. Mm -hmm. Has the son stood by you and Stan Bihal? Is the son going to stand by its people? It is. It is. And our lawyer has been contacted and we are, you know, sort of vigorously pursuing charges. 
Um, I am uh, concerned about going to another rally like this because, uh, as I stated to my you know bosses, this is now becoming more and more, as you said. We have to hire security. Yeah. We, we don't send Sheila out without security now. Well, I'm looking at that as well. Yeah. I'm looking at that, frankly. Isn't it incredible? And you know, the rest of the media doesn't care or they're cheering for the violent ones. They are. You stay safe, Sue Ann. Thank we you. need you. Thank we you. need you. God knows. My mom and dad are worried about me. My Jewish mom and dad. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it because yeah. you're supposed to be a journalist. You're not supposed to be a, you know, a boxer. Yes. Unbelievable. All right. Well, you got to believe it. We know this. We know this. <laughs> the number of rebel personalities who have been attacked or rebel alumni, and they go after the women, I find. Yes. You know, uh, of course, Lauren Southern was attacked when she worked with us at U of oh. T. Everyone knows Sheila Gunn-Reed was attacked in Edmonton. Uh, one of our camera women was attacked. Oh. I mean, talk about cowardly. And of course, Gavin McInnes was attacked, but we all enjoyed seeing that, to be honest. I'm just, <laughs> I'm joking around. Of yeah. course, it wasn't, it wasn't permissible. And uh, Gavin would know, I'm just joking. Um, no, it's, it's impermissible, but it seems to be permitted. All right, stay with us. More ahead on The Rebel. Welcome back. Well, incredible conversation with Sue Ann, wasn't it? That a 63-year-old photographer for a daily newspaper, no political ideology at all, just assaulted mere feet away from seven officers and they, they couldn't care less. Because, of course, the alt-left Antifa are given a pass not just by the mainstream media, but unfortunately by police too. I'd like to show you a couple of images from the United States over the weekend, of course, where they had racially charged protests, 20 White racists had a protest, about 200 media covered it, and about 2,000 alt-left protesters. I want to show you when two Antifa-style left-wing protesters accosted a journalist named Dewan Hargard from ABC. Take a look at this short video. Don't be shoving on people. What's wrong with you? Yeah, and get that out of my face. Hey, hey, hey. Hi. No, up around here. Link up around here. I got it. Come here. They bleeped out the swear. You can see they were physically pushing him. A couple of white Antifa. I don't have anything against whites, but the whole point, the narrative of this weekend's coverage was it was whites being racist against blacks. Let me show you, in addition to swearing at and pushing Dewan Hogger, they cut the audio equipment rendering his camera less useful, only images, not sound. But take a close up at Dewan Hoggard himself. Of course, he's an African-American journalist. Think about that. A black journalist goes to cover an event and two screaming profane white activists physically push him around, swear at him and cut his equipment. But because they were left wing, they got a pass that did not actually make it into ABC's own main broadcast that night. Joining us now from the United States via Skype is our friend Andrew Clavin, the host of the Andrew Clavin Show Mondays and Thursdays on the Daily Wire. Andrew, if the shoe were on the other foot, if those were white nationalists, white supremacists, white racists doing that to a black reporter of ABC, I think it probably would have led the news. That's my hunch. What do you think? 
Well, we already know this to be true. Every time uh, a black guy is uh, killed by police, even if the police are black and even if the guy was committing a crime at the time and threatening a, a policeman's life, it's looked upon as a racial incident. Whereas here we have uh, my pal Candace Owens, uh, a, an African-American lady who was chased out of a Starbucks by screaming white people shouting at her that she was a racist because she's a Trump supporter. Uh, we know we know that on CNN, uh, Chris Cuomo and Don Lemon, or as I call them, Dumb and Dumber, uh, are on saying, well, it's not the same thing when a leftist punches somebody. That's different because he's anti-hate. Yeah. So that's okay. But you know, then when it comes to the language that Donald Trump may use, which I, I actually don't approve of, uh, but when he comes to that, that is somehow more evil than the language that they've that the left has been shouting at right wingers for a long, long time. The problem with these double standards is ultimately they just won't hold. I mean, ultimately people say, "Hey, wait a minute. You know, if you're going to judge me by the color of my skin, I'm going to judge you by the color of your skin. If you're going to say that punching me is okay, I'm going to punch you back." Eventually, you just bring down the whole system. And that is the problem the left is experiencing right now. Uh, you know, you talk about the racial part of it. I mean, I'm sure you know the New York Times has now a woman on its editorial board who hates white men. Uh, I do not see, and then they explain that that's not really racism because he's white. I do not see how that kind of standard is going to hold at all. Well, you know, it's not just that it's a, an obvious double standard and that it's the left not living up to its own supposed ideals, but I think when you attack Americans for being white, to use a word of the left, you're racializing them. Uh, I, I, my point is, I think most Americans, I mean, I, I would certainly say this about most Canadians, we don't think of ourselves as white or right-handed or th in these boxes. But if white men are attacked as white men, after a certain point in time, they might say, all right, fine, if you're telling me that's how I'm valued and who I am and that's my tribe and I'm pushed out by the other tribe, fine. And I think it's actually creating a racial consciousness and identity that is probably unhealthy to begin with, but obviously counterproductive. Uh, to, to, I mean, those, those on the left are creating the very racism they claim to oppose. That's my thesis. What do you think? No, I think it's absolutely right. I mean, the the twenty the twenty white uh, identity people who showed up for this rally over the weekend there were literally twenty of them. That that you know that's the danger they present to our country of three hundred and fifty million people. But even they were saying, you know, we don't want to be hateful. We just want we we believe in white identity politics. Well, I don't believe in identity politics for anybody. I believe identity politics is racism. I believe intersectionality is racism. And I think that if you you're going to be racist, if you're going to condone racism and say, yes, you know, we, we are to be judged according to the color of our skin, you're absolutely right. Of course, white people are going to start to do it too. And then you find out that you're outnumbered and it's not so much, the, the game's not so much fun anymore. I, you know, I believe, as I have believed all my life in e pluribus unum, out of the many we become one, that what links us together is our creed, and it's, as it's explained in the Declaration, that all men are created equal. Those are the things that make us Americans. It's not the ground we stand on. It's the ideas that we not just hold in our minds, but also inside ourselves and our hearts that we believe in, and that's what makes you an American. You walk in the door, and I'm meeting you for the first time. That, that is what I'm going to judge you on, whether you live up to those standards. If you are going to say to me, that somebody held slaves 200 years ago or 150 years ago, and he was the same color you are, and therefore you are guilty, 
you lost me. I mean, then we're playing a totally different game. I mean, then I feel justified in saying, oh, well, I was mugged by a black guy and you're the same color as he is, so I'm going to hate on you, you know? And I just think that that is a path to foulness and stupidity. I mean, that that's the way the world has been until the foundation of America. That was the way the world always was. That's what we changed. We were working on it. We did it badly. We did bad things along the way because we're human beings. But if we're not going to stick to those ideals, if we're going to abandon those ideals, Everybody's going to abandon. It's so interesting that you refer to E Pluribus Unum. Just yesterday on my on my show, I talked about how Justin Trudeau has the opposite de facto motto he wants Canada to adopt: "Diversity is our strength," which I I said is the opposite of E Pluribus Unum. From one, we're going to split into many, as opposed to the American right. idea of from many we're going to band together into one. And he wants to atomize us. And I got to tell you, in Canada, that. Trudeau's just announced we're going to have a new statutory holiday, a new national holiday. We don't have very many of those. You know, they're, you know, Canada Day, it's our 4th of July. We have, you know, uh, very, we have Victoria Day named after the Queen. That's our British tradition. He wants, this is incredible. Let me bounce this off you because I'd love, uh, I'd love your assessment of this. I know you haven't heard this before because it's a very Canadian story, but I love your view because you're really on this issue. Our new national statutory holiday, so it's right up there with your Veterans Day, for example, or Thanksgiving, is a day to remember the uh, hard conditions, the racist conditions of residential schools that were set up for Aboriginal, First Nations, Indian kids. So Indian kids a hundred odd years ago were taken from their families and put in these schools to teach them English and other Western white skills, but it, it was done with a hue of racism and condescension. So uh, those are gone, those are all gone, but there will be now a national holiday, a shame day, a scolding day to commemorate that it would be as if America had a Japanese internment remembrance day. That's what it's like. That's my view. I'd love your take on it. Well, it is like, you know, it's great. You can have a, you know, an Aboriginal shame tree and sing Aboriginal shame carols and it'll be a beautiful thing. You know, to me, the way that the left looks at, uh, certainly at, at my country, and it sounds like they look at your country as well, I always compare it to saying, I'm going to tell the history of your life and I'm going to start with your porn searches. I'm going to tell the history of Martin Luther King's life and I'm going to start with his adultery. I'm going to tell the story of George Washington's life and start with his slavery. You can do that to anybody because we're all sinners, you know, we're all uh, broken and every country has committed bad things. What makes America great, certainly, is all the wonderful things we've done that we've done uniquely, that there is not a person walking around uh, on the planet who is politically free, who doesn't owe at least a little debt to America. You know, that, that is a beautiful thing. That's what makes us different. The stuff we do wrong is what makes us the same as everybody else, yeah. right? Because <laughs> I mean, everybody has that. And, I, you know, I would like to see, you know, I, I, I simply don't see other countries that have had nowhere near the sterling history of freedom and liberty and moving forward in equality uh, of treatment that, that we have. I don't see those other countries indulging in shame days. They're desperately looking around for something to be proud of. Yeah. We have so much to be proud of. I think we should 
be celebrating that every day. And I think just just in like, listen, this is true in my own life. It's by celebrating the good things that I do that I become better. Right. By wallowing in guilt, even though I know I do wrong things because I'm a person, by wallowing in guilt, I get mired in guilt. I get yeah. mired in the, the past. By looking forward and saying, hey, that was a good thing. Do more of that stuff. Yeah. You know, that's the way I go forward. And that's the way we should look at ourselves as countries. You know, I, I've kept you for so long, but I just want to squeeze in one more question because I love your answers. Um, I notice that you mentioned Candace Owens, a young black Republican who was screamed at and driven from a, a restaurant by white leftists. And anytime there's a conservative woman, Michelle Malkin, Sarah Palin, Ivanka Trump, they're, they're subjected to so much uh, sexist, mis misogynistic abuse from the left. And, and just recently, I think it was the New Yorker, had this cartoonish um, you know, insinuation that Donald Trump was going on a gay date with Vladimir Putin, so they're using homosexuality oh, yeah. as an insult. And so, I'm, so I, I think, okay, you're, you're screaming epithets at a black woman, you're, you're screaming misogyny at conservative women in general, and you're using homosexuality as an insult in a way that I thought was, uh, was considered taboo. I wonder if the left actually even means it when they say they're pro-women, pro-gay, pro-black, pro-minority. I wonder if they even just mean it or if it's just a, a trick that happens to work on conservatives so they pretend they mean it. Well, you know, here, here's the way I feel about this. In the same way, I, I believe in Jesus. I don't care what church you go to as long as it leads to Jesus. That's what I believe in, you know, and I, I don't even care if you believe in a God who represents those values. I'm with you. That's that's fine. They're the same way. They believe in socialist slavery. They don't believe in women. They believe in socialist slavery. They don't believe in blacks or gays. It's just the socialism they want to get to. So if the path takes them through gay people, that's great. As long as the gay people sign on. The minute the gay guy says, you know what, I believe in freedom. I I want to be free. I want to be a capitalist and a free guy. Suddenly, they start hurling slurs at him. I mean, they, they call black people Uncle Toms if they say, you know what, I'm going to think independently. And they, that, that to me is a racial slur to call somebody an Uncle Tom. Yeah. It also means they haven't read the book because he's a great guy in the book. Yeah. But like, you know, they, they will abandon you with double rage. They will come after you with double rage if you take one of their favored nations and say, you know what, as a member of that favored nation, I disagree with you. Because it's all about getting to the socialism. That's all it's always about. And it's, and, and really, you can see, you know, when they, they come to you and they say, we want to be equal if we're gay people. And you say, okay, now you're equal. And then they say, good, but you can no longer believe what you believe. You know, and then they, they turn it around. What they want is the power all on their side so that they can establish socialism. It is all about, and, and, and what is socialism? Socialism is taking your labor, taking your money, taking the things that you create and using them for your own purposes. It's a power grab. And it's all about the power. And the minute gay people and women wake up to that, the minute they wake up to that, the left is finished. And so that's why they punish the, those desertions uh, even worse than they publish. They, they punish the rest of us who just disagree with them on principle. Yeah, what a great point. Well, Andrew, I tell you, I could keep you all day. It's so interesting, but I know you have other <laughs> things to do, including your daily show. I want to encourage all our viewers, if they're not already listened to it, that absolutely must. It's the Andrew Clavin Show, and that's every day, Monday to Thursday. Am I right? That, that's it. Yep. And that's at thedailywire.com. Lots of good talent over there. Andrew, we're always grateful for your time. You, you're so smart, and I loved your take on our Canadian way of thinking, because, uh, boy, we, we, we got some troubles up here. Take care, my friend, and keep in touch. It's great talking to you. Thanks a lot. All right. Thank you. There you have it. Andrew Clavin. Make sure to tune in to his show on The Daily Wire. Stay with us. More ahead on The Rebel.
on my monologue yesterday about Maxime Bernier's response to Trudeau's mantra of diversity is our strength, John writes, I wrote in defending Andrew Scheer after one of your shows. Now I must say those three little words I hate saying so much. I was wrong. Mr. Scheer has turned out to be a dud. He seems to be scared of the media or anybody that wants to challenge him, really. And he lacks a spine. His support of the Paris Agreement seems hypocritical in light of his anti-carbon tax stance. Bernier seems to actually have the chutzpah required to lead and would have clearly been the better choice. I remember you calling me optimistic in response. Well, that's gone now. Well, I uh, look, you got to have hope, right? I mean, you got to hope that he improves, Andrew Scheer. Um, I'd say there's a 50-50 chance that at the Conservative Party convention next week that um, the party will abandon its dairy cartel supply management approach. It's just so out of sync with the entire party. It was so obviously a dirty deal cut by Andrew Scheer to get a few dairy farmers support. Um, but I just don't think that's tenable. When Brian Mulroney himself from Quebec is saying get out of the dairy cartels, I think Andrew Scheer will have to. Um, maybe I'm wrong. I think that Andrew Scheer is so malleable, he may see where the party's going and say, oh, I better get ahead of them and not be trampled by them. On the other hand, he is timid and he's bossed around by the media. It'll, I don't know. I, I hope he grows a backbone because, by God, we need someone to stop Justin Trudeau, and obviously we don't want Jagmeet Singh, who's awful and is going to be crushed, by the way. It's got to be Andrew Scheer. Wanda writes, whether Scheer is a shrinking violet or just shrewdly letting Max do the spade work for a more aggressive election campaign, I hope that Max's strong leadership abilities and clarity of vision play a central role in the defeat of traitor Trudeau next year. Well, we'll see. I mean, I see that Maxime Bernier has more tweets and I see official letters from the liberals and the liberal media party to Andrew Scheer demanding that they fire Maxime Bernier. So I don't think that this is part of a strategy of a good cop, bad cop between Scheer and Maxime. I just don't I just don't think it's that. I think it's what it looks like. I think Maxime Bernier is feeling unfettered because he's not in cabinet anymore. So he's speaking out. And I think Andrew Scheer is hiding under the uh, hiding under his bed. On my interview with Aaron Gunn from BC Proud about the removal of the statue of Sir Johnny MacDonald in Victoria, Janie writes, maybe they should start tearing down the parliament buildings because that's where all this fuss started in the first place. Well, don't give them any ideas. So many things in our country would have to be knocked down if we want to make the perfect the enemy of the good. I was only half joking when I said Victoria, the name of the city, named after the Queen British, Columbia, named after the Brits, and Columbus, two things that the left hates. Um, just about everything would be destroyed, and that's really what the left likes to do. They like to raise things down to zero. I think I told you the other day that Mao Zedong had this vision of raising everything to the ground and literally giving people numbers instead of names, destroying anything from the past. Um, I mean, we know that the Khmer Rouge would, were so anti-ideas, anti-intellectual, anti-learning, anti-culture that they murdered anyone with glasses. The theory went if you had glasses, then you knew how to read books, which meant you were obviously part of the old guard. That's obviously the most extreme form of Marxist revisionism. But um, yeah, tearing down the statue of John A. MacDonald, I think that's pretty far down the road, wouldn't you think? Oh my God, and putting up a statue of Jinnah? Unbelievable. Folks, that's our show for today. On behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night and keep fighting for freedom.